and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. We are in a brand new series this morning called Revival Starts In Me. Because like revival is like our um, theme for the whole year. 2021, uh, the whole thought behind revival, there's two kind of inherent meanings around it. One is a far sweeping move of God and you can study revivals. In fact, I'd encourage you to study revivals. I've been studying revivals for a wee while, but intensely for the last, um, I don't know, maybe October, November last year and just reading about where God turns up and moves. So the far sweeping move of the Spirit. The second inherent meaning is the renewal of hearts and souls to God the renewal of hearts and souls. And you may as well throw in there as well, bodies, minds. It's not a very Christian word, but fortunes, uh, whatever it is, futures. Thank you very much. That's very useful. Okay. (laughs) I look like you're going to preach, Alex. And the thing is um, that when you talk about revival like we're talking about, you cannot... um, I think you've got to be careful, and it's not us being careful. I think it's as meaningful as anything. But you can get a lot of activity going on, even just talking about it. Got the presence, maybe some of our language changes. You hear the word revival a lot. Um, I don't know if people will start swinging from chandeliers. We don't have any. Uh, no? Okay. Uh, um, I'd like to see that off the um, catwalk, though, the ladder. That'd be great. Um, a lot of stuff can go on in revival, a lot of external stuff. But let me just say this, if we go home from these moments unchanged, unrevived, then it's nothing but a lot of noise. And ultimately, the great hope, I think the great hope, more than even just the great warning, is that God actually does want to bring a revival. I think in the new covenant, we have a revival. We've got an open heaven. I believe we've got access to things through faith, through the promises of God. Um, that that doesn't automatically dictate how quickly those things happen or exactly how long that journey is of gaining those things. But ultimately, it's an inner work and revival that God wants to bring and then burst out. So in some ways, I'd like to define it backwards. It's a renewal of hearts and souls and lives, and then it gets so kind of pent up that becomes a widespread move of the Spirit. It's probably the best way to see it. Um, it's quite a layman's way of seeing it, but that's it. So I want to talk this morning about probably one of the ways that will bring in an inner revival in you and in me, revival starting in us, actually genuinely happening in us, things happening in us, a way that probably is better than any other way. And I do think you're going to go away with just some practical things that you'll be able to outwork immediately if that's where your heart's at. But to do it, I want to talk about three different people. Person A, person B, and person C. Person A, person B, and person C. I want to just talk about this thing. I, I've just simply, um, I've just simply talk, called this message uh, following the Jesus way or a practical guide to personal revival. It's quite pithy, isn't it? One day, person A comes up to me after a church service. It's not too uh, uncommon. People do like to talk to people. In fact, back in the day, pastors used to stand out on the door and shake hands. Pastor Philip, do you do that still today? I'm going to come and... Um, I don't know what I'm going to do, actually. I'll be here, so it's all good. <laughs> but um, 
Tony Barnett, who was a pastor here, he used to shake, preach and then bolt and then he'd shake everyone's hands. And I remember as an eight, nine, 10 year old thinking this is the best thing ever, shaking his hand. And, uh, and anyway, um, it's a weird thought to confess in public. So after the service, someone came up to me, person A, and just began to just share some stuff. Um, I, I have had some interesting conversations over the years. I, it wasn't this convo, but I do remember one person coming up to me and saying, looking me in the eyes and saying, hey, listen, I know you're passionate about God now, but put 10 years on it and you're not going to be passionate anymore. And I thought that was quite encouraging. I, I thought <laughs> I would have quite liked that in writing. It was actually quite useful to me, though, because I made a decision. That was about 15 years ago. And I made a decision that in 10 years I will not be any less passionate I'll actually be more passionate. <laughs> anyway, person A um, decided to come up and um, have a chat, and things were not good. Things were bad. Uh, things had become very desperate. I, I could see that, and I could feel that, and basically uh, what had been going on as I began to ask what's going on, um, that something at work had gone horribly wrong. Basically, um, the situation had become so bad it's permeating his whole life. His, his own relationship was under strain. He just felt like even being a dad was just like an, an impossible situation. All things God cares about. Um, low energy across the board. So I said, well, what, is, what exactly is going on at work? So he said that person B had become an absolute tyrant. Person B is his boss. It didn't start that way. But as um, time went on and he was um, more involved in this job, there were um, full-on rants, swearing at him with every expletive you could imagine, and real abusive, emotionally abusive. Just And if anyone's ever experienced work sucking, doesn't it suck? You know, there's nothing worse than your work sucking. Maybe not having a job. But, but, but when work sucks, you're thinking, I don't want a job. You know, it's quite, it's quite an irony. So person A hated the idea of going to work because he required the job. He had to. And so now he asks me for advice. But here's why I'm sharing the story. And this is the interesting part of the story. And you don't know um, this person, so it's all good. I knew person B. <laughs> he went to a local church. He was a professing Christian. I could not believe when he was telling me what was going on. I mean, like, like honestly, it was beyond just someone having a frustrating afternoon. This was repetitive, cyclic, abusive behavior. And I was just thinking while I'm hearing this, this cannot be right. This, he must be talking about someone else. So I just inquired a bit more. <laughs> Lo and behold, he wasn't talking about someone else. He was talking about a person that I knew that went to a church that I knew. Um, is there some sort of mistake? And I'd like to say, yes, there is. I think the mistake is, and I think that you and I do it too, I think that the mistake starts with what most of us believe being a Christian actually is. How many times do you think the word Christian appears in the New Testament? New Testament is from the beginning of Jesus, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's two-thirds of the Bible. Just, just someone tell me who doesn't know. <laughs> How many times do you think the word Christian appears in the New Testament? Because we're Christians, right? So it's quite a big deal. You'd think it's quite a few. You'd think it's quite, quite a number. It's three. Three times the word Christian appears. in. The, I think we've got one of the verses where it appears. Can we bring it up Acts, Acts chapter 11? 
Um, this is referring to Paul and Barnabas. Um, I think it was Barnabas. But anyway, when they found him, they brought him back to Antioch. That was a place where God was breaking out. Jesus was breaking out and moving. Both of them together stayed there with the church for a full year, just, just equipping and training and helping people be Jesus followers. As it, and this is what it says. This is one of the three. This is 33.33% of the mention of the word Jesus. And in one translation, it's in brackets. It was at Antioch, the believers were first called Christians. Um, a, lot of, a lot of scholars believe this was actually a full-on put-down, like idiot. Like they were using the word Christian because Christ was the one they were following and they were talking about it as little Christs. There is probably an inherent meaning, like a good one if you flip it around. And, and lots of us uh, are going by the label Christian and that's okay. Um, it's not a mistake to do that. I'm just saying it's not really enough. It's not a mistake to call yourself Christian. It's just not enough. Question, how many times does the word that's used to describe a person who's actually following Jesus, disciple, how many times is that mentioned in the New Testament? 268 times. So you've got Christian with 33%, 3, 33, 3, a lot, a quarter, third of it. <laughs> a quarter, sorry, <laughs> is used. And then you've got 268 times, of which one, we just read it, it was where the disciples were full, first called Christians. So even then it's like overpowering, overriding. What is that word? Um, Methetes, bring it up. Um, disciple means methetes. That says methetes, believe it or not, in Greek. And it actually means, and a lot of people would know this, it means learner, pupil, disciple. If you ever get a Bible dictionary, it's really cool how it often repeats the word that you're trying to get the meaning of. And it's like, great, I'm clearer than ever. <laughs> but a lot of people grew up, and we grew up after the industrial age into an educational age, where in the industrial age, people were put into classrooms to learn because people were working in factories and they were trying to condition people to work in the factories. And so they put them in classrooms where it was walls and that's not actually originally how human beings learn. That's quite a new thing. And so when you hear disciple, Mathetaeus, and you hear learner or pupil, you probably, even subconsciously, you're gonna go to a classroom or you're gonna go to a Bible study or you're gonna think about someone giving you knowledge. Now be careful because people uh, perish for lack of knowledge. But the knowledge that you think you need from Jesus is actually not the process of invitation when he said, hey, come be my disciple. He wasn't thinking of you in a classroom. I don't even know, and it's scary for me to admit this, if he was thinking of this with Rose. We just do it for practicality, I guess. Mark, John Mark Comer, a great writer, He's a new voice on this whole issue, which I think Eugene Peterson, probably others before him, certainly Jesus Christ himself was big on. They would say this, that when Jesus said, come and be my disciple, he was actually inviting us into, ready for it? A way of life. Not into a title. Not only that, but John Mark Comer in his writings says, disciple is best translated as the scholars above pupil and in a seat learning knowledge as apprentice. That everyone who, who would read the, 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 the text the way they did thought apprentice. Um, you hear it in all sorts of scriptures. I'll just read some, Mark 1. 
Mark 1, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon, his brother Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Carry on. Jesus called out to them and he said, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once uh, and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, um, a.k.a. The Chosen, episode seven, season one. Hello. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it immediately. Uh, and, and anyway, he goes, um, they were repairing their nets and he called them at once and he also said to them, um, they also followed him, leaving their father and the whole family business. Mark 2, uh, verse 13. Then Jesus out of the lakeshore again taught the crowds. So there's crowds coming to him. And he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Aphelphus Sprouts, and sitting at the tax collector's booth, just checking you're awake, follow me and be, this is the invitation, follow me like the others were. They dropped their life and it was now their new way of life. And he said, be my disciple. So Levi got up and he followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and the disciples home to to dinner. So now this is, where are you following him? They're gonna go have dinner. And when they had all their friends around, disreputable sinners, the Pharisees saw them having dinner and asked, why do you eat with such scum? And Jesus famously said, healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the sick that do. I've come not to call those who are righteous, perfect in their own right, but those who know they are sinners. So this was, I'm just showing you this because that was the way of life. Drop your nets, start following him with your life. And you ended up at a dinner party with people who were spiritually sick. Okay, Mark 3. Afterwards, Jesus went up to a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them them and called them disciples. One translation says apostles. But for this purpose, disciples means he appointed his apprentices. They were now accompanying him. And then after that, look how cool that is. Then he sent them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his apprentices and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, apprentice, you're actually gonna have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So there is a cost and a price tag for whoever wants to save their life, life, like the way of life, your life itself will lose it. But whoever gives away your life, the way you've been going, the, the, the kind of life you've been living, you're gonna gain a whole much better life. And he goes on to say, What is it, this is quite a good question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet you forfeit your soul? The master's talking to apprentices now. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Do you see the pattern? It's a little bit different to the Western pattern, which is this, believe in me and get into heaven. Pretty much most people have got the Christian tag and some doctrines or belief systems or Um, as long as I've got Jesus in my heart, because in the 80s, we heard so much about getting run over by buses. Do you remember? If if tonight you died. And, you know, people said it for a long time. So they started to have to creatively elaborate. Imagine you were walking out tonight, you were hit by a bus. And I thought, contextually, I live in Nelson. That was about four hours away. Plus, (laughs) plus there's no buses after like 6 p.m. then. I'm going to be awake all night and I'll die in the morning, but whatever. No, no good. All right. (laughs) Um, The point is that 
There's nothing wrong at all with believing in Jesus and going to heaven. And there are times in your life that you absolutely want the assurance of eternal life. But I'll ask it now, like I've asked it many times here on Sundays. Can I ask it, what about before you die? What about the rest of your flippant your life? What about the rest of your life? What about it? What is the way of life? What is your, your, your pattern of life? 268 times he's saying this, apprentice to me. Apprentice to me. I want to invite you to apprentice to me. I want you to be my apprentice. Business people, single people, unemployed people, students, um, kids, preteens, post-teens, teens, other teens, people still think they're teens. Apprentice to me. You actually have no idea how much that helped me because I used to read the Scriptures and I used to read him turn up to the disciples and go, come follow me. And I thought, okay, how do I do that? How do I... Like, it's 2000 and whatever. Like, how do, he's not here in the flesh. I don't have any Roman sandals to put on. I could go buy a fishing net. I could go buy a boat. And I, don't, I think there's always need to buy a boat. But, <laughs> but, but like, what is this? Like, you, like, like, I'm talking about real stuff because that seems very ele- elementary, but it's actually what a lot of people feel. They're, they're like, I'm, Je- I'm a Jesus follower. But what the heck does it mean? What, what does it mean in 2021? What is it going to mean when you're raising kids or teenagers or your, or your kids have left the coop? Um, person A and person B tell us potentially that it actually has real implications. Person A is struggling in life because person B has a, 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 an idea about faith that actually is not a real idea. I'm not, now, now, now. Have I ever lost the plot? Yes. Did yesterday, actually. But anyway. (laughs) Do you ever have frustrations? Yes. Do you ever make mistakes? I just sat here and told you that God would never stop loving you if you didn't make mistakes. If you if you made mistakes. I I yes, 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 but but it's not that person B probably didn't understand that God could cope with his mistakes. It's that person B, I'm not sure, was really becoming an apprentice. With Jesus, and here's why, okay? This is such a basic message, I know. He never apologized. He never said, I'm so sorry for swearing at you yesterday. It's me, it's not you. I'm so stressed out. The ends aren't meeting, the schedule's off the chart. It's when you did this simple thing. He never was honest with the guy. Apology, honesty. He was never able to say to the guy, Listen, when you cut that a few mil short, it cost me 30 bucks. Let me teach you how to cut it on track. You would think Jesus has nothing to do with that. But I would say every trait that you find in Jesus, you can be apprenticed in and it can have a real impact in your life so that we're not becoming people with labels. I don't want to be a person who was known as a Christian but did not have any fruit of Jesus in my life. I don't want to be that. I would rather go a whole nother way. Like stuff that because that's not working. I just don't, I just think there's versions of Christianity that just aren't working anymore. Like, like it doesn't work to do this for six, 70, 80 minutes, whatever it's going to be, 10 hours on a Sunday. It doesn't work. And I feel like that we need to know what it actually means. So John Mark Comer, Eugene Peterson, a few other guys, they write a basic format. And this is not rocket science. I didn't come up with it. However, 
I've been trying over the last number of years to endeavour to live it. And endeavouring to live it and living it are different, I realise, but even in endeavouring to live it would be helpful. So here we go, you ready? What does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it actually mean? Because people are fed up with the labels, the self-labels we give each other, okay? And our lives do not match it. And we need to know. We need to know what does it actually mean for personal revival and corporate revival. Number one, um, John Mark Comer says, Eugene Peterson, they say this. First of all, an apprentice genuinely just wants to be with the master. I know some of us don't like it already, but, but that's the facts of it. I went to a 21st the other night. The birthday girl had a brother. I knew his brother, her brother, because that brother had worked for my brothers. He doesn't live in Nelson. Two of my brothers run a building company. I mean, one runs it and the one who owns it sort of pretends he runs it. So anyway, I took a photo of this guy, his name's Ziggy. And I saw Ziggy and I was like, Ziggy. And I took a photo because I knew he worked with my brothers. And, and I only took the photo after this conversation because I was talking to Ziggy about, um, well, he actually asked me, how's Rich, how's Phil? So I told, them, told him. And anyway, I sent the um, photo of Ziggy to my brothers. We're on this group chat. Families do that stuff now. And um, anyway, I sent the photo and Rich messaged back, whoa, Ziggy, exclamation mark. I miss him. Phil messages back, Ziggy, and then asks, where are you guys? And then before I could answer, Rich sends another message, who did he like more, me or Phil? <laughs> now, he's, no longer, he's not working for Phil and Rich anymore, but he wanted to know. And before this text exchange, the conversation that I actually genuinely had, get this, you ready for it? Ziggy actually told me that my brothers helped change his life. He said that one of them, one of, uh, one of them taught him all the detail, how to be so detailed and that the details matter. He said, up until that point, the way that I built, he said, um, I just didn't know I could go to that next level, but one of your brothers taught me how to do that. And he said, and the other one taught me how to get kicked off golf courses, <laughs> which is also a skill. And I'm not totally, I'm not totally um, sure that Jesus wouldn't have been kicked off some golf courses. I mean, he was kicked out of church. He was kicked out of, you know, th they didn't like some of the things that went down. So anyway, I, I said to Ziggy, really? And this is his quote, and I'm going to read it to you. I so miss being around those guys. <laughs> Sadly, that simple statement is not how most believers actually feel about Jesus. Sadly, it's what some believers don't say when they first wake up in the morning. I just so can't wait to be around Jesus. And I know why. I know why. You just needed a little bit of extra sleep because life is so full on. I get it. And then you're going to wake up and there's going to be children everywhere or no children everywhere or you're trying to sort your day or whatever it is. I get it. Phil Pringle wrote this. Prayer is not about... Prayer, prayer is about relationship, not about praying. So think about that. Prayer is about relationship, not about praying. There is someone at the end, other end of that prayer. He wants you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to want him more than you want the answers to those prayers. He wants you to want him more. Man, that's hard. Isn't that challenging? And this is why much of the Gospels actually about, when you read the Gospels, a lot of it's about being with Jesus. Now there's, there's 
doctrine and faith and, and miracles and kingdom and stuff Jesus says all thrown in there. But it's all in a context. It's all in a life. It's all about following Jesus. He, 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 I remember reading, you know, when he turns to this big crew who started hanging out with him and it was full on because people were hanging out with him because of the popularity of it, the healings of it. And actually, I didn't even realize this, but food was quite scarce then. So who are you going to hang out with when everyone's hungry and someone brings five loaves and two fish? Two fish and five loaves, whatever ratio it is. Depends if you're dyslexic, doesn't it? Like, who are you going to hang out with? They were hang- People were hanging out with Jesus because he could feed them. So he goes, hey guys, I just want to check we're all on the same page. I just want to check we're, we're doing the same thing because I'm paraphrasing now, but I love you with all of my soul. I love you because I'm going to go to the cross for you and I'm going to lay it all down for you. And I just want to make sure if this was a dating scenario, we're on the same page. So he says it like this. Are you ready for the language? You guys are all going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, what? You're what, what now? And you read it in John chapter 6. It's, it says these people just started leaving him. And they're leaving in droves. And all about that's left is 12, 12 disciples, 12 apprentices. And Jesus says, do you guys want to leave as well? And Peter replies, Master, where are we going to go now? Do you get it? Some people turned up because of what they could get. Other people were there because of who he was. And I want to tell you about your Christianity that's really going to work. A Christianity that's really going to work for you. Okay, start with being with the master. Be like Ziggy and just say, I loved being around those guys. I loved being around him. Okay, what else? I don't know. You just, maybe you just need to start with the idea that Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than anyone. Jesus is the thing the whole universe is spiraling around. And let's just take the religion down a bit and let's just get back to Jesus. That would cause a revival. And I don't know how it means it's meant to work for you, but maybe it's like getting creative with it. I get in a funk with this stuff all the time. I'm, I'm like, I do one thing for long enough with being with Jesus. And then I'm like, I'm just doing that. And it's no longer about Jesus. So I'll flick it up. I'll change it up. I'll walk. I'll sit. I'll, 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 I'll not run. That's terrible. No one likes that. You know, like <laughs> scrambled legs. But, but no, one, no one does. You know, we just got to keep, keep the priority being with Jesus, not the form said enough. Two, with, with being apprentices, you want to then be like the master. So being like Jesus. Number one is being with Jesus. Number two is being like Jesus. A very common mistake is missing the fact that Jesus isn't just looking to get you into heaven, but is actually, listen to this, you ready? He wants you to enter the process of being immersed in the characteristics of who he is and formed into that image. I want to swear in church, can I? Maturity. He wants you to start maturing, not arriving at a point, but moving on from this point. There is no, there is no end to the growth that you can grow in and being an apprentice. But some of the maturity is this, not actually have I arrived. Here's a question for the people who are taking notes. You ready? Are you being formed? Are you being formed by Jesus? It's not a question of, are you being formed? Listen to this. Everyone is being formed by something. 
We are all an apprentice to something, power, fame, money, culture, the world, sex, whatever. We're all being an apprentice to something. The question is, have you discovered yet how to be an apprentice of Jesus? And that that is actually the answer to what your soul needs. Um, One of my girls asked a friend who had a very, very strong accent around to our house. She was friends with her for a few years. Really strong accent. Oh, g'day, Mr. Oh, hello, Graham. Like this. Now, her parents were American, which was really cool. So I asked when they came around, hello, Graham, hello, Rebecca. And she was, I don't know, six, five or six school age at this time. And so I had a conversation with her and I said, hey, how long did you guys live in America for uh, before you came to New Zealand? She said, oh, well, I've never been to America. I said, what? (laughs) I have never been to America. And I'm just like, how, what, when, why, what's happened? And it dawned on me that we are products of our environment. We've been formed into an image of stuff around our life, but we've never really opted into it. I wonder if person B ever got discipled. I wonder if person B ever got taken on a journey to say, listen, some of the things that God wants to do in your life will be a slow burn, a long game. Still trying to get on top of that anger thing. Still trying to get up on top of that, you know, reaction thing. Still trying to get on top of some of those things that are going on. Do Christians today want the long game? Or are we trying to pray it all away game? I'm, I'm up for miracles. I'm up for answers. In desperation, we embrace all of that. But some of the things that God is wanting you to do in you is actually because when you look at Jesus, you say, I just want to be like Him. Going to take a li- it's going to take a lifetime. But I want to be like Him. You're a product of your environments. You want Jesus to get under your skin. Not, not just your Sunday schedule, but under your offence, under your brutal conscience, under your being misunderstood, under your appetites, under your trying to impress. He does it the way Ezekiel said he'd do it. He'll give you a new heart. He'll put a new spirit in you. I want a new way of behaving. I want a new heart. I want a new way of measuring success. I want a new way of understanding sexuality. I, I think that there are a lot of things in this world that, that even people are searching for and we've forgotten Jesus is the one who can offer that. I want a new mind. I, I want to be transformed. And three, being with Jesus to being like Jesus. And here's the frightening thing about it. You ready? Is that then you get to do what Jesus did. And for a plumber, what's your end goal? Your whole goal is to be able to plumb that house. For an electrician, what's your goal? To not blow up anything. For a joiner or people who run the joinery office, what's your goal or sales? To look busy. You know, it's just like, what is your goal? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's your goal? The, the goal of knowing Jesus is definitely heaven. But this is where the revival is going to break out. This is the practical guide to revival, okay? Okay, are we this year just hoping we'll come to meetings where revival's breaking out? I just think that would be low level. My, my vision, the way I see it, what if 15 of us in this room could become apprentices of Jesus? 
and just totally reorganise our lives. Pardon. You need some WD-40 on that puppy, eh? Do we have an apprentice mechanic here? <laughs> is, the, is the praise and worship team out of budget? No, I think we're okay. Should we authorise a spin this week? <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> what if 30 of us, like I'm going to organise my life around being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and then here's a list. Are you ready for it? Preaching the gospel, teaching the way. This way I'm talking about is the way to be human. Healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people who are far from God. I'm up for that. Doing justice, peacemaking, praying. Where are those who are prophesying? Apprentices of Jesus know how to prophesy out what God is up to because they can tap into the heart of God. Standing up to religious and political corruption. That's just the short list. Loving people like they've never been loved before. That's what doing life like Jesus would do is like. And that is our goal. You can be spontaneous. I heard this week, did you say that? This last Sunday, someone was driving past someone in the street and heard a whisper in their spirit, wind down the window and say to the person, you should come to church. And that person, and I think that's the key, isn't it? That little whisper. Uh, But anyway, winds down the window, says to the person, hey, you should come to church. Person came to church and it was game on. Person received a very powerful touch from God. I call that apprenticeship. Your adventure hasn't even yet begun in life until you go, Jesus, I want to be like you. I mean, who does that anyway? Who, us who needed saving, us who needed forgiving, us who continually need saving and forgiving. Who, what sort of God does that? That says, I want to endure, 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 endure you, endow you, endow you with power. I want to teach you how to speak well. And then you go do it. That's why most Christians are bored out of their trees. Because they think it's still about being perfect. It's not. We've got a job to do. There's a world to reach. There's people to love. There's things to prophesy. There's, 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 there's a mission. And I don't know how you're going to express it. You're not meant to express it like me. Barely anyone can tolerate that. I'm surprised you guys do. But we're called in your gentle way, in your strong way, in your melancholy way, in your reflective way, in your business way. All the people, you got full-time jobs? Your fullest full-time job is to be an apprentice of Jesus. And then you make that secondary. And so you're thinking, Jesus is with me. He's with me. He's with me now. He's with me when I go to the gym. He's with me when I'm working out what to forecast in this budget. He's with me wherever I go. And so... I just feel like actually that invitation today, I don't really know if I've done this justice, but to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to let Him do a work in your soul and in your mind and in your person. Man, I was tested with this recently. Um, Something happened. Amen. And I thought to myself, okay, what's the way of Jesus? And I I knew that it wasn't what I was feeling first, which was to jump on Facebook to write a little status about a little thing that would be a little passive aggressive. And I thought, what is the way of the gospel? And to be honest, it felt like I was being crucified to go that way. I surrendered, Lord. 
I surrender it. I just got to give it up. I feel I feel this, but I give it up. I don't know. I want to get even get right, get whatever, prove whatever. I just surrender. I just surrender. The way of Jesus can just it can touch our lives in a powerful way. To me, that's the practical guide to personal revival. Being with Jesus, being like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Are you up for it? Anyone here? Like, I'm talking about seriously, actually. That's what I want. Person C then. Who's person C? It's you and me. Person A and person B, we know the story. Person C is you and me. What's it gonna be? Are we gonna get Jesus into our homes? Are we gonna get Jesus into our convos? Are we gonna, like, like not religious jargon, but I'm talking about the Gospels. How is the Gospel gonna work? And that's why you need small group around you because we don't always know the answers. But we're only two or three together. We can work it out together. And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that revival would burn in our hearts today where Jesus is the one we'd wanna be with, that Jesus is the one we'd wanna be like, and Jesus is the one that we would follow and we would do what He would do. So Father, let this revival burn in our hearts today. Let someone in this place want to be an apprentice. Let someone in this place realise this was not a good talk. This was your holy invitation to us. Let us not just be part of a church that is on a street with an address that does services at a certain time, but let us be disciples. Holy Spirit, go out now. Cause people who need an encounter with you to have that encounter. Cause people who need real faith to rise up for faith to rise up. Cause people who haven't read the Scriptures in days, weeks, months, years. Let them have a yearning for something new, for something different. I pray people would be invited, Lord, into being like You, to being with You. Please change our hearts, Lord. We don't just want the noise and the clutter of revival. Let revival begin in us. Lord, for those who have been listening today and just feeling resistance, I pray, Lord God, that to begin to give way to a hope, to a calling, to a presence, to a life. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Go ahead. Just go ahead, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Just keep your eyes closed. I'm not going to ask for a, who wants to be a disciple. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. Personally, I think it trivializes the moment. Think about it. Go away and consider it in Jesus' name. Maybe it's what you've been looking for all this time and didn't know. And when you decide, you don't actually need to fill in a card. Jesus didn't create a follow-up system. He created a come follow me. Let Him know. You let Him know. Let Him know you want to be with Him. Let Him know you want to be like Him. And let Him know you want to do what He did. It's all yours for the taking. Just with eyes closed, heads bowed. If you're here today, you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. It is part of the journey. It's part of the process to actually open up your life to Him. Are there clear lines that you cross and say, well, that's it? Uh, is it a is it a formula? Is it a secret way? I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. And I know that He is because I've experienced it. 
I, I, I experienced His tender love and mercy. I experienced His forgiveness and His grace, undeserved favour. I experienced His love in moments to think that He would love me and I felt so wretched and awful and weird about it even at the time and yet His love broke through. And, and it, there's not really a day that goes by that I don't think about Jesus and somehow talk to Him. He has so changed the way I see the world, see life, see my own life and He offers us all salvation right now. And so it, eyes closed, heads bowed. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, you actually want to ask Him into your heart and invite Him into your heart, then I'm going to pray a prayer. And again, it's not about just showing people what you're doing. It's actually a genuine heartfelt thing. Eyes closed and heads bowed. I just want to pray a prayer. You could follow it after me each line of the way. And you just really, it can be a trigger catalyst. If something's going on in you, where you're yearning to know God and to know His peace and His mercy. So everyone all together, Follow this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You You're here today by Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for Jesus giving Him so I could know the way. I acknowledge right now I'm far from the way. I'm going my own way. And I ask You today to help me turn towards you, to walk towards you, that I might know you. Please do a work in my heart that's real and true. I need you. Forgive my sin. Give me a new heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's put our hands together for Pastor Graham this morning. Amazing, uh, amazing word. And, uh... We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.